You're listening to a sermon from Midtown Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about Midtown and its ministry, please visit us at midtownpres.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Guys, he is risen. Come on, we can do better. This is a full room. He is risen. There we go. It's Easter Sunday. Come on, y'all. Let's go. Uh, a, few, a few months back, I was ordained as a reverend. It was a really sweet time and affirming for me, but I also didn't realize on that day that I'd get magic powers. Like the ability to say three little words and make all of you say the same thing at the same time, right? It's amazing. And uh, I also know that when we do stuff like that, when we have these call and response things, it can also confirm the suspicions of folks who are maybe new to this Christian thing about how weird we are. <laughs> that we show up and yell things at each other on a Sunday morning. And we use pronouns, but we don't describe those pronouns, right? He, who, who's the he? Who are we talking about here? It can be confusing and intimidating to come into a church. So if you're new here, if you're visiting, if you're trying to figure out this whole Christianity thing, please know we're glad you're here. And we also get the weirdness. We understand it. In fact, if you ask around this room, you will find many people who have grown up in the church and asked, oh, that's weird. What, why do we do that? Why do we say that? What does that mean? That's actually been a big part of my story. I've been raised in the church, and as I got older, I started to notice some of these things on the surface that seem weird that we as Christians do. But I can tell you that the more I dug, the more I asked, the more I explored, the more I found that there was life-changing, powerful truth under the things that seem weird on the surface. And so I would encourage you, keep digging. Come around, ask questions, be in this place. And so when I say, he is risen, there it is, yeah, yeah. That isn't just a fun game. I mean, it, it is fun, but it's not just a fun game that we, that we play as Christians. It actually is a proclamation of the central part of our faith. It is a proclaiming of what we believe to be true in the person of Jesus. And that's actually the center of what Christianity is. Sometimes we tend to think that Christianity is about some nice moral guidelines that we follow or some nice teaching or advice that Jesus gave us or maybe even just a social or tribal thing. But at its core, Christianity is none of those things. At its core, Christianity is the proclamation of good news. It's the proclamation that something has happened as a result of which the world is a radically different place now. That's what Christianity is. And that news that we proclaim is that Jesus Christ went into a tomb, a dead man, and came out of that tomb alive. That Jesus Christ went into the tomb, a dead man, and came out of that tomb alive. It is that upon which everything else we do hinges. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is risen? Because if he's not, if that's not true, all of this is a waste of time. We're wasting our time playing a religious game. The scriptures actually tell us this. The Apostle Paul, who believed that Jesus rose from the grave, who encountered the risen Jesus, said in one of his letters in this book that if it's not true, he is a fool and should be pitied. I can tell you that I've staked my life to this. If it's not true, I am a fool and I am to be pitied. And so is anyone else who says they're a Christian, if it didn't happen. But if it did happen, if it's true, it changes everything. It changes who I am. It changes the life of every person outside this room. It changes the course of history. It is radically life-changing, if it's true. And that's why Easter is such an important day, you guys. 
because it puts right in front of all of our faces the question, do you believe that Jesus Christ is risen? That is an eternally grand claim. It has significance for each and every one of us. It dictates our very life and death. And that's the question that our text we're going to read this morning wants to ask everyone in this room. If you have a Bible, turn in it with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Feel free to look in the table of contents. It's the first book in your New Testament. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 28. So when you get to Matthew, flip to the big number 28. Uh, We're going to start in verse 1. We're also going to have the words up on the screen behind me if you'd like to follow along. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 1. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here for he has been raised as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, greetings. Hilarious. And then came to him. They took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right at the start of this passage, we're introduced to two characters, Mary and Mary. The two Marys. They're the first ones we meet here. And these ladies, if you need a refresher on the story, have been through likely the hardest 48 hours of their lives. That's where they are when they arrive in this story. A quick recap. They watched as one of their good friends betrayed their best friend, Judas betraying Jesus, for a little bit of money. We talked about this betrayal on Friday. It was crazy. It was beyond conception that somebody who walked with Jesus was close with Jesus for years, who ate meals with him, who who was trusted by him, betrayed him. And then, after this betrayal, Jesus was dragged in the middle of the night to a fake trial with all sorts of fake witnesses claiming different things that contradicted one another. Anybody would look at this and think, that's a sham of a trial. But he was condemned guilty anyway. And then he was dragged into the middle of the street and beaten by the cops. If we had phones, it'd be all over the internet. And then he was mocked, flogged, forced to carry his own torture device to his death where he was strung up naked. See, oftentimes we picture the crucifixion with Jesus having some sort of clothing on, but crucifixion actually didn't always work that way. Oftentimes, crucifixion involved stringing a person up naked because the goal was to promote as much shame onto them as possible so that other people would be deterred from committing crimes. Jesus was beaten and then strung up publicly shamed naked in front of everyone, and the Marys were there for all of it. In fact, in the Gospels, they're the only ones that are depicted as being there at the crucifixion, at the burial, and at the resurrection. They are there the whole time. And then he died. And his limp, lifeless body was peeled down from that cross, wrapped and placed in a tomb. A stone was rolled over that tomb, and the Marys saw all of it. 
So when we get to chapter 28, we're looking at women who are completely traumatized by the last couple of days. They're probably having trouble sleeping or eating. They're probably replaying the last couple days in their minds, seeing the sights and listening to the sounds and smelling the smells and wondering if they could have done anything differently because these women are human, just like every person in this room. And just like every person in this room, they know that dead people stay dead. That's how it works. So they're not coming to the grave with any expectation other than to grieve, than to mourn. They're coming to the, the tomb today because... They don't know where else to go. They're limping to the tomb emotionally and spiritually. And we need to hear that because many of us today are limping. We've limped into this room. I don't know what it is for you, but many of us have limped. Maybe it's grief over the loss of a loved one over the last two brutal years. Maybe it's abuse at the hand of someone who was close to you. Maybe it's depression or anxiety. Maybe it's grief over the violence that's ravaged our world in the last few months, in Brooklyn, in Ukraine. Maybe it's just this deep longing for satisfaction in your life. Maybe it's a dread or angst that hangs with you when you try to go to sleep at night. Whatever it is, friends, many of us are limping. And sometimes we don't know where else to go. But I can tell you this. Wherever you've come from, whatever you're limping with today, there's news in this story and news in this cosmic story that God is writing. God meets with you when you're limping. He shows up. When you're not sure what else to do or where else to go, when you're struck by pains too deep for words, God meets you in powerful and profound ways. And that's exactly what happens here on Easter Sunday. Because in the middle of their agony, in the middle of their grief, in the middle of their confusion, in the middle of their limping, suddenly there's an earthquake. The ground shakes. There's a flash of light, and that light doesn't stop flashing. It's like lightning that doesn't go away. An angel appears before them. The earth shaking shakes the two guards of the tomb here. They faint like they're dead men. And there's a clever wordplay that Matthew is using here. The same verb that describes the earthquake when the angel arrives, also describes the shaking of the guards. He wants us to connect those two events to see how ironic this is. See, the resurrection of Christ is the great reversal of the powers of our world. Matthew wants us to see that the earthquake of God shakes the way of the death-stricken world, shakes it and kills death. See, these Roman soldiers, they were representative of an empire that was evil, that was oppressive, to the Jewish people that caused pain and suffering. They were the representatives of death in the lives of these people. And so by shaking them, by casting them down, the resurrection is indicating that those powers, pain and death, all of the things that cause us to limp, they no longer have the final word. This is reversed now. It's God's definitive proclamation that the last word never belongs to your limp. It belongs to Jesus. And you know what Jesus' word says? It says that everything that's broken will be mended in him. It says that we will get renewed bodies and souls, and we will be reunited with all the people who have gone before us. It says that we'll get to live in a perfectly united heaven and earth again, that we can start to live in that even today. 
It says that all of our sins will be forgiven. It says that tears will be wiped from our eyes. It says that love will put to death all harm, all hatred. It says that all the deadness in our lives, even death itself, no longer has power over us. That's the good news that we proclaim. If we believe in him and his resurrection, if we trust in the person of Jesus, we get caught up in this amazing redemptive story that starts now and continues eternally. And as if to hammer home how powerful this is, I love how the angel is just super casual. Like this is always how it's been. You guys didn't realize? He shows up, he sees this massive burden, the stone, and he's like, well, let's just roll that sucker away. Like it's a little like wheel on a Lego car or something, right? And then he's like, well, I've had to travel a long way to get here, I gotta rest. So he sits down on the rock, right? Like it's a beanbag chair. This massive thing that was preventing the Marys from seeing Jesus, he's like, well, let's get that out of the way. And guards who represent this amazing empire that the sun never sets on, well, you guys are just going to fall dead, or at least like dead, the text says. You're going to faint. And then he sees the Marys, who are probably like, there's no words from them here. Did you notice that? They don't say anything because (laughs) this is crazy. And the angel wants to clear things up. Oh, he's like, no, no, guys, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus, I know, the one who was crucified, the one who was killed, whose body was lifeless a couple days ago. But he's actually not here anymore. He's risen. Hey, nice. Just making sure you're paying attention. Every move the angel makes here, the rolling away of the stone and the sitting on the stone, the encouragement to them not to be afraid, the proclamation of Jesus' resurrection, it's telling all of us a radical, life-changing truth that there is nothing that can stand between you and the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Nothing. There's no stone, no sin, no fear, no pain, no limp, not even death itself. The thing that comes for all of us, Jesus says, yeah, we took care of that. Long ago, friends, Jesus knew the limp that you would bring into this place this morning. And he said, we can take care of that. We can take care of that. I've actually seen worse. I've been through worse. And the worst thing that you can imagine, death itself, it couldn't stop me, which means it can't stop him now. Jesus is inviting every one of us today into this eternal family of God, and nothing can get in the way. So do you believe that Jesus has risen? And I know, especially in our day, that's a tough question for us to answer. It's hard to say yes to that question. Many of us are immediately skeptical when we hear this. It sounds fanciful and wild. There's one common objection I often hear to the resurrection. People tend to believe that back then, the people who wrote these texts, the people who told this story, they were a little more superstitious. They were a little more gullible. But now, we're nice and scientifically advanced, right? And we know that this sort of mythology, it can't actually happen. We know that this couldn't have possibly happened. But I think that's a little bit of an overestimation of us and a little bit of an underestimation of them back then. Because, guys, they knew when someone died, they stayed dead. They may not have had the scientific language to describe that, but they knew when someone died, they stayed dead. They knew when you went pale and when your pulse ceased and when your body stopped breathing that that was it. 
In fact, there's other claims from people, both before and after Jesus, who said they were the Messiah, who made the same sorts of claims that Jesus did. But when those people died, there were no movements saying they've risen from the grave. It never happened because they knew that those messiahs were still in their graves. And so when they heard this news, they said, whoops, got that one wrong. He wasn't the messiah because he's dead. He didn't make it. They knew that this is what happened. They had the same reasons for being skeptical. And sometimes they had more reasons for being skeptical. For instance, this news in every gospel comes from the mouths of women. Now, this is a very misogynistic and patriarchal society. Really, really rough for our 21st century minds and eyes and hearts to get uh, to wrap around. And in the first century, no one, no one would have believed from the mouth of a woman that this had happened. It was actually written into some of their uh, law codes. There's an ancient uh, Jewish historian named Josephus who writes about this. He said that in a court of law, it was a rule that no evidence could be accepted from a woman because women are too frivolous, they're too audacious. There's another philosopher who was a, a staunch opponent of Christianity in the first couple centuries who said this. Prepare yourself, 21st century people. How can anyone expect rational men to listen to the testimony of a hysterical female? That's the world that this news is proclaimed in by women, which means if you were making this story up, you'd never start it with witnesses who were women. It's just a bad marketing move. It's a terrible option. No one's going to buy into this, which means if it started with women in a culture that was highly anti-woman, which is terrible, by the way. I'm not advocating for that, <laughs> to be very clear. If you're writing a story that begins with women, that means that people really have to believe it. They're not just going to buy the story because they like the idea, because in that culture, you didn't listen to women. They have to have good reason for this. And worth noting as well, the disciples, every one of them was skeptical when they heard the news. Every one of them. These weren't people who were anticipating that a man would rise again. In fact, when the Mary show up to the disciples, they say, no, 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 you guys have lost your minds. You're crazy. You may have seen something, but it's definitely not a risen body Jesus. Peter actually ran to the tomb when he heard this noise. And he looked in the tomb. He saw the linens laying there. He saw the stone rolled away. And the text says that he wondered what happened, which should strike us. He didn't immediately think, oh, he did raise, rise from the grave. He immediately went to, how can I explain this? Because there's no way that he actually rose from the grave. That's crazy. Peter himself was skeptical at first. And so I want to be very clear, you guys. These people who wrote these stories were just as skeptical as any of us in this room when they heard it. It was just as unbelievable to them. And yet something happened. Something happened to change their skepticism. They went from being skeptics to people who were willing to be murdered for the claim that Jesus rose from the grave. Willing to be put in front of lions and ripped apart because they believed that this was true and they believed that death had no hold on them anymore. Something happened. And that means this is at least worth looking into if you're skeptical in the room. I've got an example for you. Imagine getting a letter in the mail. And this letter is printed on nice letterhead, and it says it's from a lawyer. There's a nice logo and a phone number and an office address. And this lawyer is writing you a letter to say a distant family relative has died, someone you've never heard of, someone you don't think you're related to. And he says they have $10 million waiting for you. 
You've just got to come into the office, sign a few papers, and we will wire over the money to you. $10 million. Now, I know that right now on your caller ID, if you look through, it's mostly spam, right? We are used to rejecting something like that. That's crazy. That's wild. That's way too out there. But we'd still look into it, right? That's $10 million. <laughs> Call the office. If it's not true, you waste five minutes of your life. If it is true, it changes everything. If it is true, it radically transforms your life. And if that's true here, the resurrection is something worth looking into. It's worth investigating. The claim of Jesus is that all things in him are going to be redeemed and restored, and we can participate in that in our lives right now. Everything that causes us to limp will be healed. That's worth investigating. It should cause us to dig a little deeper. And actually, the angel in this text, by the way, encourages that digging. Did you catch that? The angel says, come, see the place where he lay. Look around, poke and prod and process and ask questions. That's an important thing here. Guys, the, the angel doesn't show up and say, Jesus is risen, now blindly walk away and believe this for the rest of your life. It's not the claim he makes. The angel encourages them to explore, which means Christianity is not a blind faith religion. And when the church does its job, it invites investigation. It invites questions. It's a big thing for us at Midtown. If you're skeptical here, there's little Connect cards scattered around. You'll notice on the back there's a skeptics Bible study, which may sound counterintuitive, but we think it's really important. You can sign up for that right now. Drop it in the uh, uh, offering box on the way out, and we can get you in touch with a group that is asking questions, that is pursuing these realities, that's testing them and poking and prodding. We're going to have question and response time at regular intervals in this church after Sunday. So if you show up and have questions, you can stick around and ask them. Our community groups, Carly and Kevin, are starting a new one. That's a great place to start to ask questions. What about this? How does this hold up? What does this mean? Guys, I get how wild this sounds. The Bible gets how wild this sounds. And I know many of us in this room have been skeptical. That's not a bad place to start. It's never a bad place to start. That's actually where the disciples started. And so if you're curious about this news, start asking. Start exploring. Start listening to the stories of people in this room. I can tell you that I've weighed different possible explanations. I've read a lot of different things. I've pursued truth in this regard. And I can tell you that I have encountered the risen Jesus. And I can tell you in the faces of the people in this room, they have encountered the risen Jesus. So do some digging. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is risen? The way you answer that question will change everything. But I also want us to notice here that the resurrection story doesn't stop at the empty tomb. Did you catch that? Where's Jesus when the angel makes his proclamation? Where's Jesus? He's gone. He's already on the move. He's already living and active in the world. He didn't need the angel to roll the stone away from him. He's already risen. The story goes on. Guys, the point of the resurrection is not the empty tomb. It's the risen Jesus. That's the point of the resurrection. If we want evidence of the resurrection, we don't go to the empty tomb because that's where death is. We go and seek the resurrected Christ and what he's doing in the world. And that's why the angel says that Jesus is going ahead of them, and he says that you will encounter them. He's saying that they need to leave the tomb behind. They need to leave death 
where it lies, and they need to seek the resurrected Jesus. This is an important part. Resurrection is not just something that happened in the past, and it's not just something that we look forward to in the future. It's a reality happening in and around us right now. See, many times in our conversations on the resurrection, we get really focused on what happens after we die, which, by the way, is not an unimportant question. It's an important question to ask. And to be clear, if Jesus went into a tomb and came out of that tomb alive, that means that when we trust in him, when we go in a tomb, we will come out alive. That's a true part of the resurrection, but that's only a part of the resurrection. The focus of this account isn't on what happens after the Marys die. The focus is on what the resurrection prompts in them now. So what does it prompt them to do? It prompts them to change direction. They were walking towards the tomb, towards death, but once they heard the news of the angel, they changed their direction. They now, in faith, are seeking what Jesus is already doing in the world which means to believe in the resurrection is not to hunker down and wait around till I die and my soul floats off to hang out with naked babies playing harps on clouds. That's not what the resurrection prompts in us. To believe in the resurrection is to believe that Jesus is at work in our world right now and to get caught up in what he's doing. Eternal life begins now. It's already happening, and we can participate in the resurrection here and now. Wherever Jesus is, it's there that we go as Christians, which means directly connected to the question, do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave, is also the question, do you give Jesus authority to walk after Jesus as the Marys do, to change direction as the Marys do, is to allow Jesus to have authority over the way they're going, the way that they're walking. And I know when I say the word authority, we can be kind of allergic to that in our culture. We don't love the word authority, and often rightly so. There's been a lot of abusive authority, especially in the last few decades here in the U.S. But there's an English nerd deep within me that wants to still hang on to this word. I think there's something really powerful in that. What's the root of the word authority? It's author. Author. The one who has authority is the one who's writing the story, the one whose voice is guiding things. You guys, if Jesus has already risen from the grave, that means he has authority. He is the one who's writing the story now. He is the one who is moving cosmic history towards ultimate life, towards ultimate peace, towards ultimate joy. He's already authoring a different world right now, one where death and decay have no more say. You guys, Christ is the author. He's writing that story. And so the question for us is simple. Do we trust the words of that author? Are we willing to let him author our lives in a different direction? Because our lives are headed towards the tomb. Our lives are headed towards death. Are we willing to let him change that authorship? That's what the Marys do here. They allow the way of Jesus to author their way. Resurrection leads to submitting our own authorship here and now and leads us to embody a different sort of life, a resurrection sort of life. And look what happens when they do that. They encounter Jesus. When they choose to go a different way, they see the resurrected Jesus. And by the way, not a hallucination, not a ghost. The text is really clear about that. You notice they grabbed his feet and worshipped him. The physical nature of Jesus is crucial here. That's also crucial in the other resurrection narratives. When Jesus rises and shows himself to the disciples, he says, hey, do you guys have anything to eat? 
This has been a crazy last couple days, and I'm kind of hungry. Also, by the way, you should have listened to the women. They were right. Always a good word of advice. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus is the author, and we can know and experience and walk with that author right now. We can know him. We can speak with him. We can walk with him. Whenever we're willing to say, Jesus, forgive me for what I've done, for the ways that I've brought about a tomb-filled world, forgive me. I turn to you and wish for you to author every bit of my life now to bring your resurrection life into everything I do. And so, friends, the evidence of the resurrection isn't in the empty tomb. It's not there anymore. The evidence is in the ways that Jesus is already on the move, already out in front of us, already working resurrection in and around us. If you're looking for evidence, look for the risen Jesus. And I can tell you that this place right here it's not a bad place to start looking because I see faces in here. I know the stories behind these faces. And I know those stories have been filled with death and despair, with depression and anxiety. And I know those stories have been utterly transformed. I know that those people live resurrected lives now. So get coffee with them. Have a meal with them. Ask them what they've seen. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave? Do you give Jesus authority? Right now, he is walking up and down these aisles in this church, healing, forgiving, restoring, inviting, wooing. This week, he'll be walking up and down these hallways at Hope Women's Center, giving his love and grace to all of his beloved. That's happening. This month, he'll be walking up and down the streets of Phoenix, largely in places that we overlook or miss, and he'll be healing lives. So are we willing to see him? Are we willing to go look? Are we willing to let him author things for us? Right now, today, you can find his resurrection life. You can know it in your life. It's here. And if you listen closely, you'll hear it. He is risen. Let's pray.